This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Andy Levine, President and CEO of the American Seed Trade Association. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Bayer Crop Science. Bayer spends $2 billion annually developing biological and chemical products as well as digital innovations to enable farmers to use these inputs with more precision than ever. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with ASTA's Andy Levine next. Nearly 40% of the food crops grown globally are lost every year to plant pests and diseases. A difficult statistic to accept when looking at a rapidly expanding population. That's why Bayer works to provide farmers with tools they need to confront this challenge. Tools that include biological and chemical products as well as important digital innovations that enable farmers to use these inputs with more precision than ever before. Integrated Weed Management, or IWM, is the hallmark of everything Bayer does to help farmers protect their crops. Bayer has championed IWM for generations within the ag industry. In fact, Bayer invests over $2 billion in research and development for farming solutions every year, and a major part of that is into more solutions for IWM. That investment has nearly doubled the spending of their closest competitors. To find out more about how Bayer is working to help farmers fight resistance, visit Bayer.com. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Members of the American Seed Trade Association have managed to overcome the obstacles associated with the COVID pandemic and keep pace with farmer demands. While fertilizer and crop protection prices and availability are a question for 2022, Levine says the seed industry is well supplied and ready for next season. Well, we think the availability is going to be strong in 2022. We're seeing some good numbers coming out of uh, of the our har- seed harvest in those specific areas of the country that got hit a little harder with with uh, drought conditions. But overall, the the crop looks pretty good as we look to harvest and condition that seed for the 2022 planting. So we are very optimistic that uh, things will be uh, there for farmers to uh, continue to plant their acres for that that, uh, crop in 2022. The port and congestion issues have been a big part uh, of so many other areas of industry. Is this in particular an issue for the seed industry? It is in specific areas, Jeff, as we look to plant seed uh, for the following year's crop, we've got to make sure that we've got some risk management production. And so we'll be shipping some seed down, uh, parent seed down to uh, South America, Chile and Argentina typically, and that needs to go by container. We prefer that over trying to send it uh, in airline bellies. And so uh, we need to make sure we have those containers available, and that's a little concern right now. And then in the produce side of the world, we actually multiply a lot of open pollinated varieties globally and bring them back to the U.S. And again, we need to have containers to do that, and it's been a severe shortage of that uh, availability. And some of our comp- companies have had to resort to using commercial airlines and, and paying that freight because they need to get it back here for farmers to plant. 
Andy, in our conversation, we'll end up talking about sustainability even more. But clearly, farmers have been making some tr- strides towards sustainable uh, production. They've been doing that voluntarily over years. But one of the pushes has been toward cover crops. And I'm Correct. curious, have you seen from the companies that you represent and working with farmers greater emphasis in the ratio of cover crops and then availability for producers that now at the end of harvest would be looking for sowing of those? Yeah, we have seen increased demand just over the last five years, I would say. You've got the message getting out through the grower community about uh, how the use of cover crops or incorporating cover crops into their production practices have increased the soil uh, uh, resilience, I should say. Um, those that have had experience drought see a lot more soil moisture to help uh, their crops through that stress time. And so... Between that and the push that we're seeing from the the federal government and potentially government programs, I think we'll continue to see increased interest in cover crops. The the question is, you know, where where can we grow these? How how do you get uh, production acres for cover crop seeds? And uh, you know, that's always a challenge because you're competing with regular acres for any type of crop, whether it's a grass seed or whether it's a row crop. Two weeks ago, when I talked to Chris Novak with CropLife America, the one thing that he wished for on behalf of his industry was certainty and predictability from Washington. How How is the regulatory nature and the question about herbicides, uh, about insecticides, how does that affect the seed industry? Well, Jeff, when we look at that, you know, we're growing the crop this year, harvesting it right now for next year's seed planting. So we've got to have certainty of those acres that we plant to specific uh, trait mixes or specific varieties will be able to be used by the farmer. And the system that's used to produce that uh, crop can be used. Uh, It can't be canceled between now and May by EPA or between now and May by some state or other government. So we really rely on that same uh, certainty of regulation and understanding that for us to provide those uh, crops for America's farmers, we've got to have certainty that what we're harvesting and conditioning today will be able to be sold and grown next uh, April and May. So that's where that consistency has to be there, and the government has to understand that they can't all of a sudden make a knee-jerk reaction and change a policy that will take hundreds of thousands or millions of bags off of the shelf because, you know, they want to go a different direction. They have to give a certainty that the policy is not going to change in the drop of a hat. Are there other elements that need to be updated by Washington to help provide that certainty and stability? Well, I hate to say it this way, Jeff, but there's always laws that need to be updated. It's getting to that point where they can be updated. We're trying to work with uh, USDA and EPA and FDA with policies respect to plant breeding methods. And that's just through the regulatory process. If you have to move something through the Capitol Hill, like Nat- National um, Endangered Species Act or the Endangered Species Act or any of those NEPA-type rules of waters of the U.S. that change production practices, those are really difficult to change, if not impossible, if they have to go through Congress. So uh, it's important that we are able to make the changes we can under the current legislative rules working with the agencies. 
And that's where sometimes it's candidly a challenge going from one administration to the next that may be that seesaw that they want to dramatically change how things are managed. And unfortunately, they're not taking into consideration how it's managed in that farmer's field. Are there particular deadlines that have been missed or pending deadlines that would be beneficial for your industry to have? Well, I wouldn't necessarily say they're deadlines. They're, they're times that we've been working for a number of years, I'd say four to five years, with agencies that we have not been able to make progress to have an understanding of how breeding techniques like gene editing will be handled. And not having that is causing uh, developers, whether they're public or private breeders, uh, to hold off on furthering their research or coming into the market with new varieties because of that uncertainty. And while as long as that is there, those products won't be coming to market. So I think that's a detriment to the scientific process, and it really is a detriment to um, to American agriculture. So on one side, a government says that biotechnology is an answer, is the same government that needs to follow through to give you new guidelines to know what the rules of engagement are going to be. That's exactly it. And, and in some cases, we've actually run into it where one agency within a department is in one direction, and another agency within the same department is in a different direction. And they're just not talking to each other. So we've had times where we had to call them together and bring them to the table and say, okay, here's the scientific part of it. Here's the policy part of it. You all need to figure out how they work together to the benefit of the agriculture community. So I want to bring up two countries. One is China. It's been a long time since they approved new traits uh, from the U.S. And from Mexico that even now is having some pushback on glyphosate issues, even though a recent uh, round of discussion between the U.S. and Mexico, they suggested that it wouldn't affect our exports of corn to that country. What happens in this trade arena where uh, it's not a level platform and they're reluctant to accept new science? Those are that's a really good question, Jeff, and it's one of those that we have to continue to push both from the uh, the industry sector and communicate with with um, their governments as well as through Ambassador Tai and others communicating that part of being in the global trade arena is accepting the global trade rules. And you have accepted that these products are safe and you need to go through and approve them and allow that that trade. And there has to be some... Uh, some reason to for them to to follow those rules, and whether it's um, uh, trade implications for them moving their product to the U.S. or something else that uh, slows that process down or stops it, uh, we've got to have that certainty in those markets. And you look at Mexico being, I think today it's the number one corn export market for us uh, out of the U.S. And so you, they can't just change change uh, ores in the middle of the river here and. They are looking at it from the standpoint of where are they going to get that corn. Any other place in, in South America is going to have the same traits and using the same products. They can't produce enough of that corn for their livestock in Mexico. So it, it really is um, interesting the direction they've tried to take, but our government has to continue to push them. This is a market that they desire sending their products to. Well, they need to um, also realize that they've got to, it's got to be a quid pro quo. The House Agriculture Committee held a hearing with regard to biotechnology, and your staff was there. Generally, what were your takeaways from that hearing, and how does what they were talking about affect the seed industry? 
Well, we think the hearing went very, very well. Uh, Everyone on the committee was very receptive to the the conversation about um, innovation, plant breeding, biotechnology, and the importance of it to address all the issues we feel are important, uh, you know, sustainability, food security, you know, certainty in the marketplace. And then this the phenomenal discovery that we see happening at our land-grant institutions and USDA and, and in the private sector. Uh, so getting that message out, uh, they ask those questions. Where are the challenges right now? And, and the challenges right now, as we've talked about, Jeff, are that uncertainty of how USDA will treat these breeding techniques as they evolve or how Mexico will treat our biotechnology products for export. And so we need to have USDA working closely with EPA and FDA to um, tie together U.S. policy, make it consistent, and then work with our, with our um, international trading partners. That's the message that came out of this hearing. And both the, the, the chairman and chairwoman and the ranking members all agreed that uh, they're there to help us out in the long term and uh, we'll, we'll do anything that they can to work with the administration to push innovation in this uh, sector to help deal with all the issues before uh, before us as a society. Your uh, testimony uh, from ASTA mentioned a convergence of critical challenges. So if we're, we're talking about the challenges that are facing your industry, facing agriculture, facing the globe for that matter, what are they and why is biotechnology an answer? Yeah, well, when we look at those those critical challenges that we see, we you know it's one the food system. Um, how does that? We saw the impact on on it from a COVID standpoint. What does that do in moving uh, products globally? Climate change, obviously, depending on where you are in that uh, spectrum of of uh, you know believing or not believing, we do see climate change going on in agriculture. How do we address that? Growing population, we've talked about that uh, uh, all the time, and people realize that we have to be able to produce more. Uh, in a growing middle class, that demand is higher for different types of, of products. And the last one, though, is really two that you look at is the environmental degradation impacts, whether it's from, from weather or whether it's from production practices, uh, and the potential biodiversity loss just from growth of, of urban areas. They take up farmland typically or forest and you you lose that biodiversity we believe that biotechnology we believe that plant breeding innovations like gene editing and other discoveries in plant sciences allow us to modify plants to better handle climate change or produce higher yields to deal with that demand uh, of uh, food in the future to have less of an environmental impact potentially more targeted use of inputs so that the plants maximizing what you're putting either on them or on the ground around them. Those are all going to be, uh, uh, can potentially be addressed using plant breeding and, and biotechnology. And that's what we see as opportunity in the future. And that's where you get into that public acceptance, public understanding of that research and where it's coming from and, and how we move forward with it. Is it possible for agriculture to achieve its objectives of sustainable intensification of the increases that we need in production for the various means of the world can we accomplish those goals without biotechnology without gene editing and other practices you know i really don't believe we can uh... just because you're basically saying we should be able to accomplish all of those goals and, and overcome all of those challenges without innovation 
and that's just not going to happen. Whether that innovation is in uh, new agrochemicals, new fertilizer or nutrient delivery methods, or new varieties that are created using new discoveries like gene editing or like molecular marker technology or like um, mapping genomes. You know, science is going to continue to evolve, and that's what is going to help us get to these uh, challenges that we have in front of us. And I would say the science, especially in our plant sciences arena, they create the opportunities to overcome those challenges. So I, we can't get there if, we, if we're not allowed to move forward with innovation. Well, certainly with the American Seed Trade Association, uh, you're a friend to both sides of the equation, that of organic and that of conventional. What trends do you see uh, in the organic industry, and is it growing? You know, yes, it is growing. We, we continue to see that uh, continue to grow. We see um, a fair amount of breeding going into uh, organic systems uh, and trying to make sure that we've got those varieties that farmers need with those characteristics that are important to organic. Um, you know, big challenge with organic soybean production is getting a leaf canopy up quicker than the weeds come up and things like that that are important especially in these day, this day and age when you don't have a lot of labor out there to go out and do hand hoeing so there's a lot of things that we're looking at with respect to to uh, breeding methods and analyzing what varieties we have today that might work well in those systems and how do we how do we facilitate that production uh, and you, you continue to see a lot of use of uh, of uh, seed throughout the Midwest and in a lot of the programs there in, in organic systems. And um, the demand continues to be there, and we work closely with the, the organic community and our organic seed producers to, to make sure that the, the community, organic community, understands a bit of the challenges for producing seed organically because it's a little different than, than um, conventional production. I can't ask you to speak on behalf of the organic industry, but from your sideline opinion, do you think that organic could someday embrace gene edited? We certainly hope so. Um, the conversations that we've had across the board, there are some concerns there uh, from the organic community, and we've worked very closely, very candidly with them to explain this continuing evolution of plant breeding. And, um, you know, it, it, the shame would be, Jeff, is that we, if we limit the techniques that they can be used in the future, because discovery is going to continue to happen. And if we handcuff the organic uh, producer to techniques that were developed in the 70s and 80s, then they're going to always be behind the eight ball in being able to produce for those things that they need, that capability to produce disease resistance from a wild relative or things like that are absolutely vital to an organic system. And it's much easier to do if you're using techniques like gene editing, like molecular marker technology and other things along those lines. It amazes me of the new uses that we are finding for the soybean, from asphalt to tires to motor oil. And uh, now we're even talking about the next generation of biofuels that may open the door to even additional crops. We're looking at new uses from plants. We're talking about uh, alternative proteins in the meat case uh, that uh, originate with plants. Are these new uses opening doors for your industry? They really are. It's, it's interesting that you ask that question, Jeff, because coming up in our meeting in Chicago, it's usually our, it is our corn, sorghum, and soybean meeting and expo um, every December. And uh, this year we have a panel that we're going to talk exclusively about 
alternative proteins because those peas, beans, and lentils have to be grown somewhere. The, that community is moving away from just about exclusively using soybeans to using other types of peas and lentils and other crops. Typically have come from some parts of Canada that got severely impacted this year because of weather. Uh, so there is an opportunity there, and the opportunity also exists in breeding of those varieties as well as multiplication. So we're excited about those opportunities to grow. You know, you see a changing market, and I give I give both the soybean industry as well as the corn industry to look at what are those alternatives on the horizon and how do we help meet that demand and help our farmers understand what they've got in front of them. So we're right there with them to look at uh, options and opportunities for the seed industry and how do we help satisfy that need that we know growers are going to have. It just may be a little different crop. Andy, I want to look in the telescope for a second if we can. Where do you feel like your industry needs to be in five years? Well, those five years, Jeff, as we look at it, uh, we've been working for the last, I would say, five to seven years on policy regarding plant breeding innovation, breeding techniques, in this case, gene editing. Five years, we'd like to have that certainty of understanding what, not only what the U.S.'s policy is, but our global trading partners. So that's obviously a goal that we continue to push as hard and as fast as possible. Uh, the other one there is that sustainability issue. We believe that the seed industry plays a key role in uh, helping address those various convert that convergence of critical challenges. And we think that whether it's higher yielding, more resilient, better performing plant varieties across the board, or whether it's that ability to put cover crops that have deep roots, get in the ground quick and, and put green on the, on the ground before the snow hits it, or whether it's an environmental conservation seed that goes on that land that was burned and fires out in the west, we want to make sure that the best varieties are there to meet that need uh, as we go forward. So we think we play a key role in both of those, and we'd like to be well down the road addressing those challenges in five years. Andy Levine, we want to thank you very much for taking time to be with us on this edition of Open Mic. Clearly a lot of challenges and a lot of opportunities as well for agriculture and the seed industry. Andy, this is Open Mic, and today you've got the last word. Well, Jeff, as always, we appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and your, your colleagues with AgriPulse and, and the support that you bring to the industry. I just think in working with my colleagues and peers and the, the agriculture organizations across this country, it truly is my pleasure, my uh, uh, fortune to be able to interact with America's farmers and to be able to represent an industry that is so vital to um, being able to put food on our table, uh, grass under our feet, and provide that um, uh, wonderful bounty that we have in this country. And seed plays such a key, important role there. And I'm very fortunate to be able to work with growers of uh, seed that bring that to, to America's farmers. And thankful for the industry that we have here in this country. So um, we continue to work at that hard with the seed industry and, and look forward to what it looks like in five years from now. Our thanks to Andy Levine, President and CEO of the American Seed Trade Association, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Bayer Crop Science, investing in developing technologies like integrated weed management to help farmers produce more with fewer inputs to feed a growing world. For AgriPulse, 
I'm Jeff Nelly.